Yeah, so as we segue into our Proverbs series, we are looking at Genesis at a few things to kind of give us uh, what were the origins of our world. And we'll be looking, last week we looked at our origins completely uh, and how God made us. And we're going to cover a couple of main topics of God's world, which is work and family over these last couple of weeks and what he made them for. So let me read a couple of verses to you here on the, their famous verses. I think you know them. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no man can boast. Then verse 10, I want to draw your attention to, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared for beforehand that we should walk in them. All right, then uh, look at uh, um, Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, if you're honest, be honest with me. When you read uh, verse 10's, uh, the good works to walk in and let your light shine before men and the good works you see there, what are the kind of works that come to mind? Now, my guess is, if you're like me, you think of, of evangelism and obeying God and obedience and not doing this and not doing that. But do you think of what the full word there in the Greek actually means? The word there for works is ergon or ergon. And that word in the Greek actually carries the weight of way broader works than just doing spiritual works. It actually is a word that, um, that actually means, um, uh, pertains to business, employment, enterprise, art, or industry. That would be the fullness of that word. It would not be less than some of the obedience to God, but, it would be, but to not call it business and do the other things would be a wrong interpretation of that particular word. Now that, I hope that blows your mind a little bit. Are you saying that, that my light shine before men is not just be nice, that actually it could be my vocation that shines and that people will see and give praise to God? Could it be that the works that God has prepared for you is not just come to church and figure out the few things you got to add on to your life that Shane tells you about and Kevin? Could it be that the good works to walk in advance is actually your work? And the vocation that God has called you to? I would argue, yes, it is. And so um, let me just give you our goal uh, for this morning, just to summarize uh, that. First, uh, let me give you what, what I hope you'll walk away with this morning as we begin. This is a two-part thing we'll do on work, all right? So, um, but here's a couple of goals for the morning. Before I give you the goals, let me tell you this. Uh, here's the summary of what I mean. Uh, it, what, what, in, in just layman's term, whatever domain that God has kind of given you in your life, whether home or place or wherever phase you are, you're given a domain to rule over. That's what you have. And some of it is vocational work that you get paid for, but everyone's given a domain by God. That's what he does. That's what he gave the first human beings. He gave them a place to rule. And whatever place he's given you, that's what I mean by your vocation or your work this morning. So when I say that, don't just think nine to five. Don't think less than that, but think of the domain that he's given you, all right, to rule over and to have. So the goal, twofold this morning, I hope you walk away with, um, is to this. Is to first is to not think so church-centric about the kingdom of God, that the kingdom is not less than the church, but the kingdom of God and how it goes forth is broader than just what goes on between these doors. It is where image bearers of God go. And so don't be so church-centric. Now, in saying that, I'm a little hesitant, right? 
But to say that you uh, doesn't mean that there's great, great things that the church ought to be giving you and great things you learn, and you ought to be a part of a local church. That I'm not lessening that conviction and what I think, all right? But for this morning, what I want you to see is to don't think, and I hope you walk away, don't think of, of so centric that you don't need to expand and think broader as a church is a component of maybe what it means for the kingdom of God. So uh, some, don't think this way, that God's work takes place mainly in in by the church. Don't think that way. And don't think that the focus of Christian work is the activity that draws people into the church or builds up the church. That's not the focus of Scripture only. That, is, that, that Christian work is only about getting you in here and getting you active. That the value of work outside the church arena is measured by its support of the church. I don't want you to think that way. I'm trying to blow that up. That the value, let me say that again, that the value of work outside the church arena is measured by how, how, how good your work is is how well it supports us. That's not biblical. Or that it's by enabling people to make financial contributions to the real work of ministry, that is, the church. Or it's giving people skills and influential connections that can help the church ministry. Or that your work is primarily a place for evangelism. It's a platform for you to evangelize. You, what I'm arguing this morning is to say, if you do that, you are minimizing one of the greatest designs of who you are and how God made the world and our purposes in the world. To shrink it down to say your job is only to evangelize the loss would be to make it less than what God intended it to be. All right? And I would say that we as a church have not done a good job of empowering you to do those kind of things. And to think of work. Now, I'm not saying that you can't reach the loss at your workplace. But we're looking at how what God made and his origins and work <laughs> In and of itself is, is advancing the gospel and the kingdom of God. Just in its nature, what you do and how you do it is advancing the kingdom of God. So the first goal is to not think so church-centric. And the second goal is to think if your vocation and role right now is central to the kingdom of God or God's mission. That your work is much more than just making sure it's ethical. Right? It's not just trying to make sure you don't sin. It is, it is important. It was by God's design that you, what you are doing is, is bringing, ruling, and flourishing to this world. That is what it is supposed to be. It's more than just a paycheck. It's more than just working towards rest and retirement. It's way more than those. That old song, everybody's working for the weekend. Unbiblical. And I want you to hope no matter what you do, I hope that the, the goal is for you to think it matter. You could say, I just, I just fix things, or I just count things, and I just do numbers, and I just, and over these next two weeks, I hope you will not just say that I just do something. I hope that you will breathe in more the high call of what you do. And I hope that the goal is that you feel like your church is equipping you for your vocation, not that your vocation exists only for the church. Right? That's the goal. So I will admit that it's an appropriate, hard balance to lead through. I am wrestling with God with this purpose. I'm passionate about it, this particular topic. Um, and listen, uh, uh, I want to, us to have a real biblical 
worldview. I mean, this was, by the way, part of the Protestant Reformation was to, was to, was to say not just that the priesthood mattered, but to say, like Luther said, that what, what the cobbler, the blacksmith, whatever you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. There was a heightening of the clergy that was, and the church that was disproportional to the scriptures. And so people began to think that the only important thing I could do if I'm really living out God's purposes is somehow only if I could go, the, the, the peak of it would be to be a part of the clergy. And you can see what human beings will do with that. When you heighten one is better than the others, they'll corrupt, right? But I'm wrestling. And I, I'm, I am retraining my mind biblically. And this has been a work problem in the last three to four years that's been working on me. But I messed up with it this week. Someone said, how's your church doing? And you don't want to know how I measured it? By the activities, whether or not we have a great you know, a student director, how we're doing in attendance, blah, blah, blah. And what I ought to first process is how do my people work in this community? And I want to say I'm really proud of you. And that's very, very biblical. I ought to, that ought to be my first process. How do the image bearers of this local body bear the image of God in this community and what they do? I think imbalanced, if you hear that. So hopefully what we'll do just this morning is to just kind of funnel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna back, to we'll do it backwards. Um, and, and, and doing Genesis, what we're trying to do, we, we exposit the passage and we want to kind of see how it fits into a whole uh, story of redemption and we zoom in on it. But I, it's a little hard with Genesis. We kind of have to stay at the kind of 30,000 level to kind of see some of the things that, and exposit that. But we're going to, oftentimes we'll take a passage and then we'll kind of expand it to what it may be. But I want to start by surveying this, this idea of just let you see some of the broad strokes of how uh, vocation and work through the Bible. Just some new thoughts maybe for you and then funnel that down to say to the glue. So here's the outline. We'll survey and then we'll see the glue that we find here in Genesis 1, 26 and 28, pretty much. Lord, help us to um, respond well and to, um, would you always be reforming your church? I think about the Reformation, and the Reformation ought to be happening all the time. Um, that we, when we think about that historical event, that your church is always reforming, because we know we are prone to just not see everything as we should, and we ought to be recalibrating ourselves to your word and who you are and your character. And, um, and even in that vein, we confess, God, that it's the PCA. On our behalf, we're not a church that has all the truths right. There are some essential doctrines that we believe are true, and we die for them, but, but we're in process as well, and Grace Church as well. So would you, we submit ourselves to you to um, reform us and let your word speak to our mind. May it, may it also encourage our souls, and may our hands, as we live it out, may, you, may we do it better. Um, in the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, so let's start with just a survey, just kind of some big thoughts here biblically um, to consider about vocation and work or the domain that God has given you, all right? Let's give you some big thoughts, maybe if you've considered these. First, uh, God makes human beings out of a physical substances and places them in a physical world and then declare that very good. Now, we looked at that last week, but let me just say it again. 
God made human beings out of the physical world that he had made. And then he placed them in a physical world with tangible, real things that you can touch, resources that he gave them to use. And in that real world of, of creativity and his design, which we'll look for a little bit more in depth of what work is, but he gave them, he, he didn't tell them everything to do. They had, they had to do some ruling and subduing, and th- things weren't going to go as it, it seemed, as it should. So the garden, you know, I've been debating, did the garden have weeds? I don't know. But it needed ruling and subduing. But God makes human beings, made you and I, out of the physical substance. And so all of life is not just spiritual. The physical matters in what we do with this place and this earth and the people that he's given us. Okay? That's consistent. Next. Uh, think of this. That the act of disobedience took place in the garden. Right? We all know that. But do you, do you, have you thought about the idea that they, it took place where humans were supposed to be working? That it was, it was in the context of work that they messed up. That was the place where the fall came while they were working. So they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. All right? Um, Let me also say that the breakdown of relationships is interconnected with the curse of work. So um, when you think about, um, you know, that as soon as sin comes in the world and the fall happened while they were working, and we see it begin to happen, and it's it's interwoven with uh, relationships, and uh, Abel... Uh, note that the first murder occurred in Abel's field, in the workplace. That's where it took place, in the context of work. So the story that we know about is always happening within work, within the context of ruling and your domain. Oh, so let me just flip it here. Do you, um, when you think about the Sabbath, I know this is a simple thing, but is the six days so you can help the one, main the church, or is the one so that you can help you? Is the Sabbath for you to work, or is it only to do church activity? But the Sabbath was made, think about it. He, he rested in it. We, we see this as a huge creation rhythm, and what was it for? It was intentioned in order to be connected to God and to help them for their what? Their domain ruling, their work. So it was a part of the creation mandate. Now, here's one that I think is, for me personally, I've just been thinking about this a lot, but have you ever thought about this? So there's the 12 tribes, right? I can't name them all. I probably should be able to, but I can't name them all. Asher and Levites and Judah, and we start going through them, right? But the th- only one of the 12 tribes was for the priesthood. One of the 12. Now, you can think about that, and I think we think, oh, they're, they're the best or what. I think you ought to maybe start looking at that and saying, God's chips on the world and how he's going to rule it was on the 11. What did he make most people to do? That's where he put it. Only one tribe was for the priesthood. What the world needed was the 11. I mean, right, if you think about that, I created a world for my people to live in, if, if what they needed was a lot of priests, it would have been 11 priest tribes and clergy in one. But it wasn't. It was the work. That's the, the priesthood is the exception to the rule, it seems like to me, just by this, the idea of the 12 in that. Now, let's just think about Jesus. Have you ever thought about Jesus? He's not born of, uh, he wasn't born into a priestly family. He wasn't. Now, he is of the order of Melchizedek, which happens, and he is a prophet, priest, and king. But if it, it's interesting, if you study that, how, how the Lord made him a descendant to be a priest. It wasn't by the family he was, brought, he was born into. 
He wasn't like John the Baptist, born into a priestly family. He wasn't like Paul, who was a Pharisee, born into a priestly family. He was like most of the pro- not like most of the prophets. He was born into a non-priestly family. And then you think, well, he's what? He's the Lion of Judah. We thought, well, maybe he'll put him in the tribe of the Levites. Nope, Judah, not the priestly tribe. What does that say about our Savior, of where God chose him to be born? I think that's some of the blending <laughs> of, the, of the spiritual, that there's not a divide of the sacred and the secular that we may think as much, that all of life is sacred. And there are some things that we do as his people that has some sacredness to it as we gather the saints and the sacraments. But Jesus is not, our king was not born into the priestly tribe. That's an interesting thought. What about this, about Jesus? Jesus worked more on earth in a regular job than he did in full-time ministry. Hmm? That was primarily, he's 33, we think, right? Um, Luke 3, 23 tells us Jesus was about 23. He began his ministry of the apostles, and you compare that to roughly three and a half years of ministry. Then the reality is that Jesus spent six times more of his life doing a secular trade than priestly ministry. Your king and your savior spent more of his life doing a trade more than he did vocational ministry. And if you subtract 10 years maybe of childhood, which they found him preaching in the, you know, in the temples, so you can see it starting to come out. But that leaves 20 years that, based upon his vocation, carpentry, but the word we think would, but it probably was stone. It could have been a broad context. But it, 20 years he was working with his hands. That's our king. The majority of his life he was doing not what I do. You have to pause and think about that. What does that mean? And it's interesting. I'm wrestling. You wrestle with this. I mean, we don't know a lot about what he did. And you go, well, we, they told us a lot about what he, what he did in his ministry, and they didn't. What does that say to the importance of one or the other? Well, when he went to ministry, he was coming to save the world from sin, right? He was the Messiah, and he had to do an atoning sacrifice. So that makes him, that's the most important truth in all the world. So that makes sense. But also that it speaks to... Work, there's something about work that also is just you feel like it's mundane or maybe it's not noteworthy to be written about. And, but here's what I'd say, your Savior, even about the things that he weren't written down about what he did, was working diligently. The scriptures say that he was perfect in all that he was doing. So... He's familiar with that. 70% of his illustrations were work-related. 70% of his parables. Now, I haven't gone out to all the topics, and it could be more than that, but at least by topic, 70%. And they weren't just, there were lessons about work and what was going on in the work. They were taking the biblical view and to bring it to bat. He was always doing that. That is a very convicting thing. I have to ask myself as a pastor, are the illustrations I'm doing for you, Jesus did it, are they in the context of work for you? Or are they always in my context? He was mindful of what they were doing. And do you realize that when he called the disciples, we know this is when he called them to do that, he was a worker, but every t- it tells us that he was there among them and he saw them. Uh, he saw uh, Matthew as a tax collector. He was by the sea when he called the sons of Zebedee and Peter to be fishermen. And at the very least, what we know is that he was among them while they were doing their work. 
He wasn't off in the synagogues away from them. He was with them among their occupations, and he had been doing it. Like, folks, are you hearing the survey of this and just feeling, wow, what I'm called to be in work and life? My Savior did it. Do you also, lastly, thinking about him, when we think about the substitutionary atonement, important doctrine, that Christ's life was, he said, was the substitute that paid for our sins, to atone for our sins. But it's a double substitutionary atonement, meaning his life pays for our sin and he absorbs the wrath. But also, we as his people get credited the righteousness of Christ. So in the courtroom of God, we get the record of Christ. Now, have you ever thought about that you also get the record of how he worked? And when he would say, I've come to do the will of my Father, it wasn't only, could it be that it wasn't only, it was a down on a cross, but do you see it was all of life? Whatever you eat, drink, or sleep, that he, 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 what was credited to mine in your account was his death and his resurrection, but his life, and his life was, tw- was uh, 20 years of it, was working. I mean, we, have you thought that that, he lived a lot on our behalf? so that we might be credited with his righteousness, his perfect life. He relates sin messed up how we work and how we relate to it, and we overworkaholics and we're less, but he, for you and I, worked it in the right way. He lived under the creation mandate perfectly. And we get that credit too. And then, by the way, We'll be working in heaven. Most of you know that. I don't know if you realize that, but it won't be singing all the time. The teaching, the doctrine of heaven is that the, that the heavens will come down to the earth. It'll be a new heavens and a new earth, and that we'll be, eat, we'll be ruling and subduing, that there'll be work. And by the way, and so uh, I'll just give you this one description. I love this from Every Good Endeavor, uh, the book by Tim Keller. It's a wonderful book. You should read that one. That would encourage you in your work. The fact that God put work in paradise is startling to us because we so often think of work as a necessary evil or even punishment. It is part of the blessedness of the garden of God, which, by the way, I struggle in giving my kids work tasks for punishment, all right, because I know work is that valuable. Now, they end up doing some of them. I still haven't figured that one out, like picking up the gumballs from our gum tree. That's horrible. I don't think that'll be in heaven. <laughs> so that one I let them do. But you see that. But you see the tension, like, because... Work, they need, we need to see work as beautiful. And by the way, students, I haven't said this, but your domain right now, and it grows as you have. It may start off with your room. It probably starts out with learning to brush your teeth and all that he's given you. Just take care of a few things as you grow as parents, and then it becomes school. And one day, all the things, your domain grows. But it's important for you to rule your domain well. That's what it means to bear the image of God. So I'll go back. So the fact that God put work in paradise is startling to us because we so often think of the work as a necessary evil or even punishment. It's part of the blessedness of the garden of God. Work is as much a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, prayer, and sexuality. Many people think the mistake of thinking that work is a curse, um, make the mistake of thinking of, that work is a curse and that something else, leisure, family, or even spiritual pursuits, is the only way to find meaning in life. And that's just not true. So, 
I hope that survey just at least sparked, wow, I haven't thought about some of those truths and those realities that Jesus, how he taught, how he lived, and who he was, and what was going on in the Bible, how important what God created from the beginning was always a part of it. Now, let's zoom in and see the glue. I think this one part, next in two weeks after the kids come from the center football team comes, we'll look more into what the actual work does and how we should do the actual work. But here's the glue that makes it really, really important that we work well. And it's in Genesis 1, 26 and 28. And it's right there at the beginning. It says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then verse 28, God blessed them and said, uh, and on verse 27, so God created man in his own image. So the glue that holds all of our work together is why is it so important and why is it central to what we do and why is it a part of advancing the kingdom of God is because we are image bearers. We are not God, but we are made in his likeness. And we were the crown of creation. And so there's something about us out of the glory triune of God when he created us that he made us special and unique to every human being because they were made by his image. And that image is what makes us have a great value in our work. Because why? Because God is a worker, by the way. Six days he worked, and then he rested. Now, this is who you are all the time. I'm, I'm doing a communicates class with our kids from the middle school and early high school, just going over the gospel and our last one is tonight, and what does it mean to come to God's table and communicate? As we're going through the gospel, we're answering the questions of who is God, who is man, who is Jesus, and how do you respond to the person of Jesus? That's our categories. But one of the things last week, we're like, who is man? And if, if we're honest, the way we respond normally, if I say, give me the first word that comes to mind about man or mankind, and most of us, you're like me, think sinners, broken, right? That's not, I'm telling the kids, don't think that first. Your first thought as a human being should be image bearer in the likeness of God. Broken? So if we're a mirror of who God is and we can see him, the mirror is broken and you don't see it. We don't do a good job reflecting it, but still, that's who we are. So that's the issue with racism, right? Because if you walk in a room, what you shouldn't walk in a room and say is that it's not to eliminate people's uh, uniqueness and specialness. But the first thought ought to be when you walk in a room is say, image bearer, image bearer. Image bear, image bear. They bear it in this color. They bear it in that color. Image bear, image bear. They bear it in this field. They bear it in that field. They, but image bear, image bear, image bear. The Ten Commandments are flowing towards having a right view of God and rightly treating image bears. Love people like yourself. Why? Why is murder so bad? Because it attacks image bears. That's a big deal. If you were asked, um, today to go, um, Iran, right? The guy, Rushdie, got murdered, the Iranian, uh, murdered, if you saw this, this weekend in New York City for standing up against some of the Bad humanitarian stuff happening in Iran in his own country. Uh, he wasn't, he actually, he's alive, sorry, but he was attacked. 
He didn't die. But let's ask you, hey, tomorrow, Bruce Petrie, I'm going to ask you to go be our representative to Iran. And you bear all the weight of the likeness of what the United States would want us to do there tomorrow. Would you go represent all that and handle that in Iran? Or put yourself, whatever I ask you to do it. How would you, what would that feel like to represent the United States in that country? You'd feel a lot of weight. Because you represent something great, of great vastness and power. And you have to go represent it in that place. All right? You are all image bearers of the creator of the world. And that heaviness ought to, is really found in how important you are. That's an important job I would be asking you to do in Iran. One thing that's also cool, maybe to help the illustration, is that I don't know, oftentimes if you've traveled abroad, which I love this about Colombia, I just got back, they weren't really impressed with Americans. Usually when I go to other countries, oh, you're an American, tell us. And you feel the weight of, wow, what you think about America and you want to know, and like you're representative. You're kind of like, wow, I represent all of America to you right now. That's a big thought. And there's a positiveness to it. In Colombia, didn't feel that way. They weren't, ah. They didn't seem so uh, enthralled that I was American. But that's the same principle. I represent something bigger than myself, and that we should feel that way. And, and it felt, I don't say it feels good to go somewhere else and think, I represent your view of something very important, of great value. You do that every day in your fields of work. The highest of value you could ever be. The highest of every domain you're given, you do that. And so notice in our passage, and this is where we're wrapping up, that he did say, you're made in my image, and the first thing he did was give them something to do. Be fruitful, multiply. We'll look at that in this family. Have dominion over the earth. Our function is to do something and to be in charge, and that's what he gave them, and that's who we are. And so hopefully what you'll begin to see as we look at next week, it will look like this. You ever watch the Chronicles of Narnia, right? <laughs> and... Um, now as Christians, the world has fallen, but we're supposed to go forward. But in the Chronicles of Narnia, you'll remember when Aslan is raised and he comes, uh, he doesn't die. And he goes around to all the people that have been turned to stone or ice by the queen, right? And he breathes life into them. But you also remember that everywhere he went, kind of spring came. And that the ice was melting and winter was going away. Why? Because Aslan was on the move. Well, you want to know what it's like to be a Christian now? Although we have this creation mandate. And basically, apart from Christ, we bring winter. But now because we're, we're Christians and God in his mercy redeems us, this thing that he gave us to do that we were bringing winter, now we have the opportunity to bring spring to every place we go. And so you want to ask, so what does it look like if I'm a teacher, teachers, is that it all feel like winter's melting when you're around? That there's an excellence and that you see people with value and that you, I mean, just play it out. What would it mean to bear the image of God there? That there ought to be a sense. They may not can explain it. And you're just teaching. And even you're making me, and even rigor is a good thing, right? He gave them a big call in Genesis. But what we should be doing in whatever field you have is that winter should be melting in spring. It should feel like spring is coming. Kids, that's what it feels like. It should feel like you bring spring to your classroom. 
Parents, that's what we train them to, how to be a blessing, because that's what we do to bear the image of God. We'll finish with this, Hebrews. Uh, it's an unusual passage in Hebrews. It's been testified somewhere. Isn't that funny? That's a weird phrase in the, Old, in the New Testament. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while, while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. This is actually, most theologians think, this is quoting Psalm 8, but it's talking about Jesus, the Son of Man. And it's weird. Could it be Psalm 8 talking about human beings that were just under angels, or is it Jesus? And when it gets to Hebrews, the Hebrews author seems to blend the idea of it being Jesus, because look at the end of it there. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. And the word of so and son of man. So then that what our Savior came to do is to bring everything under his control, including mine and your salvation. Praise God. That he had the power to do that. But what he was doing was fulfilling who we were from the beginning. The thing that 11 of the tribes were doing, more than, than, than the one, <laughs> And why? Because we were the representation, the image bearers of the one who does create and king. And Jesus did it before us. So I pray you breathe that in. As we move into the fall and this new year and we look at Proverbs about how to, it'll tell us how to do this world and how to live in it. I pray you'd feel like your vocation today is, um, is how the kingdom of God goes forth. It's actually how we make this community flourish. One of the main ways we'll help bless and be grace for the city and fulfill our vision is for people to do their jobs well. And we got to do a better job measuring it by that. I'm going to try to figure that out. Let's pray. God, um, pray that you would, uh, as we close, as the little ones will come back in, as we sing a song, as we wrap up as your people this morning, would you... Um, We're, well, we're thankful, God, for the high call of our vocations. And we're also thankful for the um, high, high cost and high penalty you paid in order to redeem us and to bring us back. And not only did you redeem our soul, but you've given us power to be redeeming, because we are redeemed, to be redeeming things wherever we go. And it is hard. God. It seems many times that the world is winning. It feels like the weeds are, if you will, the figurative, the weeds are stronger than we are. But Lord, would you please help us to um, breathe in the reality that we are your image bearers. And therefore, as your image bearers, we work. And would you help us bring redemption to all the places? Would you help us to bring, bring spring for the places we are. For your fame and for your glory and because of your great son who has purchased us, I ask these things. Amen.